Hello and welcome to the India Energy Hour. I am Sandeep Pai, a former journalist with Hindustan Times and now an energy researcher at the University of British Columbia. And I'm Shreya Jay, journalist with Business Standard newspaper in Delhi, writing on the energy sector. Together, we are really excited to co-host a new podcast on India's energy transition, the India Energy Hour. This podcast is hosted by 101 Reporters, an innovative news agency that connects grassroots reporters and media houses to bring out untold stories. The show is produced by Tejas Dayan and Sagar of 101 Reporters. In this podcast, we want to unpack and document India's energy transition. We will interview leading energy, development and climate experts from academia, civil society and the government. Through these interviews, we will explore the most pressing hurdles and promising opportunities in the energy transition unfolding in India. We will examine the role of government, finance, social justice and science. Over time, we will feature other countries of the Global South as well. Farming communities, forest dwellers, tribals, with their rivers, mountains and other natural bounties, are in the first line of impact from climate change. The worst part is that the most vulnerable are also the least privileged to save themselves from such havoc. The Indian government has put a strong voice on the global stage of climate discourse. But are the climate policies covering the most remotely located climate change affected population? To understand the impact of climate change on the ground and what policy support it will need, we talked with journalist and author Hidesh Joshi. Hidesh is a freelance journalist and also contributes to Carbon Copy Hindi, a dedicated news website for environment and climate change reporting. A journalist for close to two decades, Hidesh has written a definitive account of the Kedarnath flood tragedy in his book The Rage of the River. Hidesh is considered one of the foremost environment reporters in the country with his ears always on the ground. Welcome to the show, Hitesh. Hello and uh, welcome to in the India Energy R, uh, Mr. Joshi. It's an absolute delight and honor to have you here. Uh, we have read your work, seen your work uh, over these years, and obviously uh, it has been a part of our the learning curve of our journalists such as me who have covered energy and climate change. So thank you for that. Thank you for coming. Uh, before we jump into this topic where we are going to discuss the ground stories that you have covered, how climate change uh, impacts people, uh, uh, journalists are rarely known beyond their byline. So I would really want to understand your story. How did you come into journalism uh, and how did you jump into climate change and energy reporting and subsequently started Carbon Copy, which which is one of the most laudable websites uh, in the current times covering energy and climate change and that too from the ground, from the affected. So very interesting journey. Tell us more about it. Tell us your story first. We'll talk about news stories after this. Uh, Thank you very much, Shreya and Sandeep. Uh, It's really a pleasure, I would say, and it's really, um, I'm very glad to be here, in fact. Uh, I don't have much to talk about my educational background. It has been very simple, uh, you know, and uh, I grew up in villages and uh, small towns initially until I started working as a journalist in late 1990s. Uh, in fact, 1991, uh, 1999 was my first general election, which, which I covered as a trainee reporter. Uh, and uh, uh, in fact, I started in 98, but 99 was the Lok Sabha election, which I remember covering as a uh, as a trainee reporter. So as you know, I come from hills. I was born in a small town called Haldwani in uh, Uttarakhand, in foothills of Himalayas. Uh, the only thing uh, which I... Uh, Flaunt and I tell people that Haldwani is very close to just 30 kilometers away uh, from the village of Jim Corbett. Uh, you all must have heard about Jim Corbett National Park. Mm. So uh, that is a uh, wonderful landscape. Uh, I am a science graduate and uh, I got a PG diploma while working very late on in, uh, in environmental journalism. So I love travel, hike, and write. Uh, you asked me how I landed up and how I jumped into this uh, climate uh, uh, climate uh, reporting. Uh, actually, uh, environment I was covering uh, right from the start. I was writing uh, about that. But that time, uh, environmental reporting was just dawning. It was uh, 
uh, about just uh, weather or uh, one can say about uh, uh, covering tigers you know uh, but in 2009 i really uh, you know it was for many journalists it was kind of a trigger when this copenhagen uh, uh, happened um, uh, then i really started taking because uh, I, later in our conversation i will tell you why uh, and you all know about that uh, because india changed its position and that triggered interest about the science and uh, also uh, i joined ndtv which was uh, you know my more than 50 15 year stint was in ndtv so ndtv was a place where actually i uh, um, you know um, i got full editorial backing what i wanted to do and i got extensive opportunities to travel to the places the poorest and most backward districts of india so that also added up uh, because environment and uh, you know as you are you have been saying uh, in your uh, programs the uh, the the community rights uh, minerals, all these things are interconnected. Uh, coal, <clears throat> uh, other minerals, and all that. So uh, that helped a lot. And then uh, uh, happened 2013 uh, disaster of Kedarnath. That actually, uh, though I have not discussed much it uh, in my book uh, from from climate angle, but that also, uh, you know, again I started and reading in a different way after I finished my, uh, you know, that writing of of that book. And meanwhile, I I, all, I was also covering Bastar, where you know uh, we all know that the a war is unfolding uh, between uh, Maoist rebels and India's security forces. And for ten years, in and out, I was going and covering that war. And uh, because uh, people always talk about that area, mm, that Bastar and Jharkhand, all these areas where Maoist are, you know, Maoist uh, um, dominated areas, these are, but they are a lot of poor tribals also live. They are not Maoist. And their plight and their, um, their, 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 their connection with the environment was also one of the angles. So, these, so this is a very complex motherboard, I would say, where I was... Uh, uh, looking from different angles, different things, and that actually uh, bolstered my interest in this area. And uh, that's how it is. And uh, apart from this work on Kedarnath writing, I also wrote a novel only because of uh, you know that experience, which deals with the uh, tribals and their, um, their their how they are caught between the fight between state and force uh, Maoists. That's actually a love story which I wrote. Uh, uh, fictional characters I created, but that is also real story uh, which runs on a, histor a historic timeline between 1998, when this uh, 2000, when the state formed uh, of Chhattisgarh, and 2013 till the elections of Vidhan, Vidhan Sabha election, very important elections uh, where Maoists had killed just before that election uh, more than 30 uh, political workers of Congress Party. So, uh, so that's it. I mean, uh, that's how what uh, I can tell you initially, and uh, I, I'm sure you have more questions. Yeah, just a just a quick follow up. Do you think climate reporting, reporting on climate change, has evolved over the last, let's say, twenty years, uh, and how has it evolved in your experience? And and I know that you have sort of been part of this whole journey of this evolution where climate used to be in the 20th page of a newspaper to now, you know, if a big conference happens or, you know, some big announcement on renewable energy, it's front page. So, yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, in fact, um, I, you're right. I mean, it has uh, it has evolved. And uh, I would say uh, there are much more opportunities. People generally say that media does not cover these issues. I think that they are talking about only the... Mm, only the uh, TV channels, um, uh, so-called quote-unquote uh, mainstream TV channels who cover climate or uh, environment or natural disaster only when there, there is a big, uh, you know, landslide as it happened, this uh, glacier burst in, uh, lake burst in Chorabari, uh, or, uh, in Kedarnath or in Chamoli recently. Uh, so these, uh, the, I mean, when people die in sufficiently large number, when these TV channels uh, come and they just talk about very uh, sh in a very shallow manner about the climate issue. But 
in, over the years, I have seen and I have experienced and I have, I have benefited that we have scores of very dedicated websites, newspapers also, the mainstream big newspapers. Uh, you can say that, you know, these are in the polarized time, people say everything about this, but they, they actually at least give a space to the issue. You go, I, I write a lot of long-form stories and I Google, I found uh, the top newspapers, actually, they do touch their stories. So there is a lot of space. This is a good thing which has happened. Also, the latter part of your question, it has also evolved. I mean, now, uh, earlier, um, any person you ask now, now people actually use these terms, the common people also, mitigation, adaptation, at least these two words. They, would, they won't know about the other... Uh, other, you know, uh, kind of a very naughty parlance of the, uh, the 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 climate change, but they will definitely know about the basic thing: what climate change, global warming is, and what uh, mota mota. I mean, the, the, the roughly they will know about the tussle between the uh, the 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 developed countries and developing countries the, about the money. Uh, not much, but st that was not there earlier. They know that why the why we are talking about electric vehicles. Uh, they know about uh, why we are talking about. Uh, it, it, actually, it has uh, it has come from the school education also. The urban middle class has uh, swelled uh, uh, in last many years, and schools have actually taught them about these things. So they talk, and the parents also talk. Their homework, they bring the homework back home. So 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 this has uh, this has changed many ways. Sorry, I have to ask one more follow-up on this. How how do you think, so I think I should have asked this question earlier, but so this is what you described sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, is a lot uh, of evolution that has happened in the urban spaces about climate change, you know, in urban areas. But what about regional media plus, uh, you know, understanding of rural communities about climate change? Uh, I mean, I think they can sense what is happening, but, you know, to put put words or labels into what that process is, do you think that has evolved as well? I, I won't say uh, in rural areas, in far-flung areas, and in uh, regional areas, you know, we think that they do not understand or we have to educate them about climate change, which is true also in many senses, but... Uh, at many times, they understand it better than we do because they are living that. Uh, again, they will not uh, use and they will not understand the complex uh, lingo of climate change or parlance of climate change, the terminology we use. But they will tell us uh, a lot, lot of things and they will, you will see them practicing about it. For example, uh, if you go to the border of... Uh, Bangladesh, India, you will see farmers are switching to crab farming because their fields are inundated every time with cyclones or sea level rise and they are so uh, saline, the soil is so saline that for many years after one cyclone, they can't cultivate anything. So they understand that this is affecting them and they are living it and they are switching to other modes to survive. And they are also facing uh, kind of, uh, what would I say, uh, the impact of climate change in, uh, in form of uh, migration. Um, so many islands in the, uh, between India and Bangladesh, uh, in the common land, they are, uh, they are drowning. But yes, we need to educate and we need to uh, reach out to them. We need to uh, reach out to them for help also, so that this... Uh, entire uh, impact and impact on their livelihood on their life this can be addressed okay great um, awesome i think that's a really good segue into the topic of today's discussion uh, which we really want to understand stories of people and communities based on your field experience over the years covering both climate change and like at the top level but also you know with the communities so uh, why don't we start with a question about, like, can you describe through some stories of the kinds of impacts you have seen uh, in different parts of the country that local communities face? Let's start with the place in the Himalayan region where I live, you know. Uh, and there is a clear impact of climate change. And their impact is in form of what 
I should say migration also. I don't know whether you know it or not that Uttarakhand has more than 1500 villages on record by government. Those are ghost villages. Nobody okay. lives there. People have migrated. There are some places out of these around 1500 places, there may be some places, uh, some villages where one or two families live. But mostly they have been emptied. I'm not saying th this is only because of uh, climate change or global warming or their crop failure. But this has happened partially because of this. It has played a role. It is also because of, you know, uh, uh, failure uh, to provide good educational facilities, failure by government to provide them good health facilities, good employment there. But if you go there, you will find as a resident, I have seen that you will see that the rain pattern has changed. The temperature has gone up. The rain is as, uh, has become very erratic and very less. And I'm not saying this has also been said in many several reports. For example, a research article in General of Geology and Geoscience uh, that has analyzed that the rainfall and temperature data of Uttarakhand between 1911 to uh, 2012. And what it says, it says that the temperature record of the region reveal notable warming, quote-unquote, trend. It also says that this warming was more prominent during last decade. According to this report, last decade means uh, the first decade of 2000, 2001 to 2010. So this is saying, but I want to caution here that all migration from Uttarakhand and other Himalayan areas is not due to just climate change. Look at Uttarakhand where more than 1200 villages have been emptied. They, they, they are facing a lot of hardship. Uh, I'll give you an example. There is a, there is a village where I, when I went there, they were saying that just 10 to 15 years back, they were selling in the market huge amount of chilies. And how much was that? Uh, you can't uh, believe that that was in tens of thousands of dollars if I convert. They were selling that much chili every uh, day, not week or month, every day. I have co-authored a report which uh, Climate Action Network asked me to help. And I went there, I spoke to people and I said, so this is something which what they are facing. But this is not limited to Uttarakhand or the entire Himalayan region. If you go down in Bundelkhand, you will see this in the peninsula or the, the coastal areas, you will see the same thing is happening. 25 crore people, I mean, uh, how much is that? 250 million people are living along this coast. And as I said, in the coastal areas, uh, not only just uh, the sea level rise, but also, again, uh, the intensity and the frequency of the cyclones is increasing and the water is coming frequently in and much uh, you know, earlier it would come two or three or four kilometers inside uh, uh, the coast. Now it is coming 10 kilometers and uh, the rain, the rains are, if it is happening in Odisha, the rains we feel in Gorakhpur. So all this is impacting the community and the poorest of poor. In any tragedy, if you go on ground and you will feel, uh, earlier I would say it's very romantic thing. People would say this and I was asked, but it is true that people who build their house in 10 years and very kacha house, it gets swept away. Their boats are gone. They lose everything which they have. They are transferred into, because of the early warning system we have, they are transferred into camps, but they lose everything. They start from zero. And earlier, it was not happening as frequently as it is happening now. And uh, Sandeep, have you ever, had you ever heard a few years back, uh, all cyclones we were feeling in the eastern coast. Now it is frequently happening in the west coast also. And we all know that fortunately the east coast is not as thickly populated or closely, uh, people don't live as close to the coast as they live in Mumbai, Goa, Kerala. If the same intensity and frequency shifts to western coast, what the situation will be? Until now we are lucky that it is not happening there. But now, in the last two, three years, we have seen the pattern has changed. You are following climate change and you must be knowing the Arabic Ocean is warming and it is happening there also. And uh, uh, one cyclone, which I, if I'm not wrong, in 2017, Oki. When Oki came, around 400 people or 500 people, at least 300 people, I correctly remember, they died 500 kilometers inside the sea. Had it come at the coast in Kerala, where people live, on the coast, just 50 meters away, what kind of a tragedy would have unfolded?
so uh, this is something and uh, this is happening in um, these are coast himalayan areas bundelkhand central india we said but it is happening everywhere and in terms of uh, community um, i i believe uh, it's really scary and it is also taking a toll uh, you know we talk about uh, uh, development we talk about uh, a lot of uh, gdp and all that but this much devastation uh, so frequently will definitely you know, push us drag us back also in terms of economy i have uh, something to ask here it is uh, not completely related to what sandeep asked but something that you mentioned about migration uh, uh, you know there is this very uh, twisted phenomena that i have observed one reason for migration as you mentioned is you know the climate is changing and and everything like that another reason for migration obviously is that there is not enough infra support that you mentioned this lack of education and everything there have been several reports you know uh, that at times environmental activism takes such a shape that the government or the policy makers then keep that area aloof from any kind of development and we have seen that in areas such as uttarakhand even in areas you know there have been examples there have been reports that how chipko movement may have prevented a lot of uh, you know environmental disaster but it led to a lot of villages being aloof from any kind of development and that was one reason that probably these ghost villages came up i know it's a very uh, sensitive question of development versus conservation but ghost villages cannot help in conservation until unless communities are there to you know push uh, the development agenda there or push the government there ghost villages do not vote people vote but if those people had migrated because there has been no support of education or health what agenda whose agenda is being served i, I would like to know yeah. your thoughts on it no this is very important and i have been saying this and i, I have been uh, you know um, making myself clear whenever i speak on uh, forums like this i always say that see i am very clearly and with lot of responsibility i am saying uttarakhand the prime reason of migration is not climate i i repeat in your uh, this thing it is a driver and the 1100 to 1500 villages with different reports saying different time and i have seen i can share the pictures of the you know emptied and logged homes and the you know it's all uh, jungle and the difference between jungle and home has been totally you know um, uh, finished and the, the 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 wildlife also has uh, started coming to the villages because they think this is the, this is not the village this this is jungle only educational problem no good education do do private schools have come but the poor and dalit recently i went i have just come back uh, my hiking and you know traveling from the uh, from the from the uttarakhand villages mostly the most poor and dalit and deprived community marginalized community people which you often talk about in your shows they are their kids are there in the sarkari government schools others they have shifted them nearby towns the migration has happened not only out of uttarakhand or out of himachal or out of other uh, himalayan states but it has also happened within the state in the urban areas in my state uttarakhand people have come down and they have settled in haridwar dehradun haldwani all these places and wonderful uh, it is very callous to say wonderful but i would say very uh, sorry state that if you go to place haldwani which is in the foothills with my place and hardwar or dehradun thousands of people are living in rented accommodation because they do not have any health facility in hills if they had to uh, during corona if they had to do a rt pcr or a simple test done uh, from pithoragarh which is far away bordering uh, bordering place people had to come to uh, places like hardwar or haldwani which is around full day journey by bus Uh, more than more than a day journey and they will uh, then they will get uh, this uh, facility so you are right now coming to the core part of your question that you know this is insensitive to not uh, not uh, to um, you know uh, don't cover if you don't cover in, environment it is very insensitive but if you cover environment and do not show it the human side of it like we cover that coal is a problem so it's sandeep's area the coal is a problem so many people are dependent on coal and how you are going to give them their livelihood if you talk about you know dams and do not talk about uh, actually it does not apply on dams because dams have actually uh, made people's life very miserable in uttarakhand and they do not 
contribute anyway because them don't give that much employment to people. But there are issues which I understand what you want to say that if you cover environmental issue and don't talk about the human angle, it's really insensitive. But what we are thinking that we are being you know, actually government is showing us a picture of development which they make people believe that this is the development which will give a lot of employment. But it actually does not happen on ground. I will again give an uh, example from the Chardham Road, which, which has come in our state. And if you go there, I'm saying don't take my words, but you, you go there. What they are doing, they are flouting every norm and it is recorded in the court uh, you know, hearings. They are flouting every norm. They are cutting vertically the mountain and throwing it in the river, not caring about river, uh, the, the riverine life or not caring about the mountain. They are, uh, there are cases where officials have lied to get the environmental clearances to make the road and it is not providing employment to people because when you make a, you try to make a, you know, uh, kind of a uh, Mumbai Pune highway or Nizamuddin highway in uh, Delhi, uh, such roads, if you, if you think that you, you, you will make such roads in uh, hills, they, they won't be sustainable and they won't provide employment to people because when the roads are good, people will zip past from Dehradun to Kedarnath. They won't stay on the way, on the road, uh, uh, on Dhaba, on uh, small shops, and they won't get, get any employment. And from uh, Guptakashi, they will take a chopper, they will come back to the place, they will again sit in the car and back to Dehradun. So where, where is the employment? What employment we are talking about? They are not using the hotels, they are not using the Dhabas, very little. So Government should understand that what kind of lot of people who understand Himalaya, who understand economy, they say we have to slow down the yatra and we have to make make it more friendly, more enjoyable for people. We make we should make sustainable roads. Though maybe I always put pictures on Twitter. Those help people understand environment. So I have put some pictures of uh, you know roads. They are not very wide, but they are you know covered by forest and they sustain during the bad weather. You know, when Kedarnath happened, every road was swept away. Which road we were using, we reporters? We were using Chopta Mandal Road. And you know, Chopta Mandal is the area where Chipko movement you were talking about, that started. And that road survived during the entire uh, Kedarnath disaster that time which is happening because that's a totally protected area. I'm not saying every road will be like Chopta Mandal Road. But that shows that when there are trees to grip the soil, where you have not done a lot of blasting which you are doing in Chamoli area or we are doing in Rudraprayag area, which you are doing in Pithoragar area, then the roads will survive. Then the employment will also come uh, and people will also uh, try, try to stay. But uh, with a lot of uh, you know responsibility, I say so much money is involved in the road constructions. It is not, a, we are talking more about environment rather than, but it is also related to climate change. So many thegedars come, so many, you know, politicians, bureaucrats, this, 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 this nexus becomes so strong that road makes everybody happy. Nobody protests about the road until or unless they see now Uttarakhand people. When I used to go and we used to cover, many people would come and they say, why are you, you are you opposing development? But now these blasting and these, this, because there is no muck dumping zone. So this all is falling from the top of the road, uh, they are zigzag roads. They are from from the top. They are this entire muck is falling, and their houses are destroyed by the debris. Some of the very sorry incident of kids being killed. Now their kids can't go because the roads have become so dangerous because of this regular, uh, uh, you know, landslides and all that. Now they are understanding this. But government, who has got experts, who has got you know a lot of resources to research and understand, and a lot of people are cautioning them. They do not understand. And that's very sorry of state of affairs. So that both the things what, which you said that the environmental environment and climate change reporting and uh, writing should happen. It should take along the people who live in the, those landscape. And government should also understand that, uh, you know, uh, you can't always conquer the nature. You will have to live with it. And you will have to understand that uh, you can create an asset, but it won't be sustainable if you... And it is not that officials do not understand this. They, are, they do understand. And this is what is happening every time the roads are being swept away and we are being told that, you know, we need such roads. I'd like to ask something here before we, uh, you know, move on to uh, questioning policymakers, etc. 
let's just question this industry first you know globally also there have been reports and criticism that climate change reporting hardly covers the affected you know do not reach out to the affected we don't talk about the affected who who are in the first line of fire but in these many years have you changed have you seen any change uh, in this kind of reporting that has happened that now people are when people talk about climate change they're talking about the people who are affected about the communities which are which are in the remotest corner of the country let's let's talk about india uh, specifically have you seen any change or do you think that there's a still uh, you know large area of reform to be covered in in climate reporting i do believe that uh, you know uh, uh, when we are talking about issues when we are talking that agriculture is uh, failing when we are talking that uh, uh, again i will return to that uh, example that uh, people have to switch to crab farming and they uh, they, they they depend on uh, companies to export their crabs to southeast asian markets from uh, calcutta sundarban and uh, those areas so they are being affected i have reported on the issues of how the you know um, the lands the, the coastal area lands is being saline and uh, they can't grow uh, and they do not have the um, facility to grow the climate resilient crops so uh, so 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 there uh, it is not that their uh, people are not being covered initially it may be right that uh, the climate change issue was immediately to stop every emission and every uh, you know um, uh, flouting of uh, rules and laws but i would say uh, i will take it with a, a lot of caution i fairly believe that uh, now th- these issues are being covered people are on the forefront not only because of the reporters or writers or ngo groups but people also have started asserting themselves you know in my reports i have uh, i have met people who have uh, started in in, in batinda initially when i would in early 2000 i i would go to punjab and uh, this in malwa region there was a lot of uh, issue of this uh, pesticide thing now people understand you know at w- one level this uh, awareness about the organic farming it has come people are speaking about it and they are demanding uh, now companies also the companies who make pesticide uh, i am being told that they are also you know creating verticals uh, for this uh, organic uh, seeds and all the all this area because they also know that one day uh, there may be demand of organic and uh, they may switch to their business to that area so there is some uh, kind of uh, uh, companies for their profit they may hide facts and they may start kind of a some propaganda also but i am uh, quite uh, i think uh, i think in last at least one decade uh, it is being written it is being uh, uh, you know uh, being discussed in different forums and uh, people are also being assertive on, on about their rights and uh, about the impact of climate change on them and and this problem cannot be solved you know one part is that if you say about forest fire forest fire cannot be you know it, it can't be solved until you take people along a forest guards today we have more forest officers we have no forest guards if you go in the structure of the forest uh, bureaucracy earlier there will be one chief conservator of forest one dfo and other forest guards now you will have full bureaucracy of you know Uh, uh dcf ccfs and all the, the, the forest forest guards are missing so if you have to control forest fire uh how will you control it until or unless people are with you and i will tell you examples later uh, how uh, in many states uh, at least in uttarakhand and and chatisgarh people have um, uh, helped uh, the government to control the forest fire yeah that's that's really fascinating so what what i am sensing from this conversation and just also from my past experience that one is the issue of climate change which is really disrupting ecosystems you know bringing in floods uh, droughts etc cetera, etc cetera. but on the other hand to to manage that uh, you know the government needs to come up with more sustainable infrastructure create more help create more resilient communities so because and so that is also not working out so on the one hand you have the climate impacts but on the other hand to counter those impacts the infrastructure and the support that is required from the government is not coming up uh, do you think people in these communities that you visit be it in uttarakhand or in chhattisgarh or in the south uh, 
do they understand this institutional failure to address climate change, both the local institutions as well as national institutions? I can't say how much people everywhere understand climate and its impact, but people are very assertive and they do understand about their rights. They are talking about their rights on their land and they are also saying that don't take away our resources, don't pollute our rivers, don't, you know, put pesticides in our in land, don't create a situation where we can't cultivate the crop. So they are assertive about their rights and in some ways it is related to climate change because climate change is also about resources and also about their rights where they live. When I was talking about Sundarvan, so in Sundarvan, people know that this is not only the world's biggest mangrove forest, but this is also UNESCO's World Heritage Site. So it can provide them employment if it is managed well. The same way, there are many other areas where people, they do know that those areas can give them livelihood and everything. But so far as the question of climate change and their uh, what uh, was your this thing mainly uh, you, you were asking uh, when uh, how much people uh, do they understand they actually do understand about uh, uh, about their rights and their but until or unless government uh, you know steps in and government speaks to them government facilitates them a lot of things which they which they need today if you look that most of people have shifted to urban areas and in those urban areas they do not care about what they have left behind but the people, the critical mass which is fighting this are the Dalits and Adivasis. If you see in the entire Central Indian uh, belt, be it, uh, be it Jharkhand, be it Chhattisgarh, be it Chudita, be it uh, West Bengal, be it areas of Bihar, be it Madhya Pradesh, all the Adivasis, they are, they, are, they are fighting to save their land. And this entire area is called the lung of, you know, this thickly forested area. And this is very, this is a carbon sink like Himalayan area is. I don't know if I could address your question, but I do understand that these areas, people who are marginalized and community, they are asserting themselves and they are uh, in one way or other, they are people who are helping them also. But ultimately, the, it is the government which will have to go there and facilitate them about this. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, my one question, again, sticking to really rural communities that you visit and, you know, spend time with, I understand that they understand the symptoms of, you know, climate change. They can see weather changing. You quote this Ladakh farmer, you know, when you did a story for third, the third poll, where the farmer is showing you like a mountain and saying, there used to be snow there, but there's no longer snow. So they can really sense all the symptoms. Uh, of climate change. But uh, what is the way as an international community or, you know, as a, uh, NGOs within India or different institute, research institutions, educate, how do you go and help sort of like sensitize people about what are the larger processes behind all this? So they, they can see the symptoms, right? They can see the droughts, they can feel the droughts, not see... Uh, but like, how do we go and educate and provide that link and make them understand why this is happening? And I mean, with the ultimate aim that they can assert their rights, right? And demand that, okay. Uh, I don't know if that question makes sense, but... No, no, I will say we have to flip this question and we should, uh, the government and the authorities and the people who can, you know, uh, who have resources, they should understand that those people we are trying to make understand this, they are not actually real culprits. You know, again, take a person like living in the remote village of Ladakh or in Sundarvan, he has almost zero carbon footprint or sometimes negative carbon footprint. And if you, if you, uh, what would I say, if you expand it in terms of countries, you see Bhutan, it does not have, you know, they are more than, if I'm not wrong, they are more than 60%, 70% area is forested. And they do not have uh, much in, uh, industry. They are not emitting, but they are also feeling the brunt of climate change. So these people, what can I say? How can I explain a person in a Mosuni island that you know this is happening and you have to do this? What he will do? He is actually 
his four of uh, uh, out of five sons they were out in calcutta and sending money back home his uh, grandchildren can't go to school and if i start explaining him that uh, you know this climate change is happening and this is uh, what and and he is feeling his his crop is not happening so what i think we should understand that this problem does not know boundaries and this will impact everyone so people until now in calcutta were not understanding it or in delhi were not understanding it a lot of municipal municipal issues are also uh, involved i will talk about that also but they now facing the brunt of climate change and initially people were not talking about it they were trying to uh, trying to say that people who are talking about it are uh, you know creating a propaganda and all that but now they understand that this is actually happening so uh, sandeep i will say that people uh, governments and authorities and the and 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 the, and the organization those have resources they should start helping these people to stay where they are which what, what shreya was saying if the, all people shift away and she was right because when in himalayan areas i was covering the story of forest rivers you know there are two kind of rivers one river which come out of glacier and other river like narmada which originally comes out of spring or you know forest both rivers gather strength as they move forward with the forest only so we are being told in uh, childhood or we we would understand that you know it is the river which uh, nurtures the forest but it is the other way round also the forest which which creates the you know uh, this uh, entire area where, where the, all the water comes so we have if we think that people move away lot of spring rivers the story i was covering that that, that springs are dying earlier we would think that uh, some springs have been finished because people have made houses like in pithoragarh in the towns you have finished those sources of water because you have built houses over them but if you leave those things and people don't live then also it is a very detrimental impact so there is a very complex relation which i can't explain you will have to uh, sit with some you know ecologist or you know so, so expert person who will who will make you understand but there is a human and nature relation also which i am being told and i i have seen it uh, i have spoken to expert that is important so uh, that's how i think it should be uh, people will help but uh, people are actually the the poorest of people are also suffering and as we have been discussing and what is the motive also and what is the aim also of this talk is that uh, a person who is being repeatedly being displaced from his place be it coal mining be it you know dams be it because of cyclones uh, if you start explaining him that you know this climate change and you have to do this you are right because uh, at one level the awareness is very important but uh, you know what i am saying that uh, governments have to uh pitching because they have money they have expertise they have knowledge they should train people just uh, expecting that they will understand they will act i personally don't believe with my experience that it will work out yeah just just a small clarification my intention was not to say that you know be, let them be like educate them so that they change their lifestyle i think they have zero footprint or negative it's more like if they get aware about the issue and frame it in a climate way they could demand better infrastructure to cope with climate change that in that my framing was that rather than they should cut down their emissions yeah so let me uh, talk about that also and uh, i'm sorry i mean uh, I, i have no intention to uh, you know say this but you know they are actually doing it in 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 ladakh uh, if we go a lot of uh, good experiments or innovations have been done and you must have heard about uh, sonam wangchuk and other people who are working there and they are working in a way that the glaciers they melt but at a lower height they create ice stupas you know and how it is done they uh, two ways one is that they slow down the speed of river so that in the chilling nights the water freezes and at it remains frozen and it lasts till the so after the next summer when the uh, rivers are again uh, you know fed by the glaciers another way is that uh, they make ice stupas i don't know how successful is that but that is also one of the very innovative and creative way and climate change when i was in ladakh i was told that it has it is not that they only suffered because of climate change 
something was not happening which which has now they have started growing there because the temperature has gone up which would require so they have adapted and that adaptation has helped them and they have started growing the crops uh, which would never grow earlier in the himachal also the apple it is not happening at this height but it is happening 1000 feet up so they are also adapting they are also trying to do some other kind experiments also people know that there, there will be more forest fire so in uttarakhand what people are doing that uh, you <coughs> may not have heard this name it's called chal khal it means small ponds in the forest and they are pine leaves they don't trigger fire but they cause fire to spread very fast what they do they collect the pine leaves the community and they throw it in the small pond which is where, where the water is deposited due to rain and you know due to because of the jungle uh, forest um, uh, sources so that after a time that those pine leaves will convert in 6 months year or even longer time convert in the it will create manure and there will be you know the control in the forest fire so there are many ways people are trying so everything is not strictly climate change but you know environmental coexistence with the, the you know how the problem is happening in and as i told you other ways in the coastal areas so people are doing but as you were saying then government actually will have to empower them with the technology with the you know uh, and they will have to train them and lot of ngos and lot of organization we see them uh, doing and i think it can be done it is uh, this was great you know about this adaptation thing that you mentioned that communities are now adapting to the changes that they're seeing around them it, it, for them it, it might not be just climate change it must be just adapting to a changing uh, you know scenarios uh, you you mentioned how they needs the government support so uh, my question is in two parts one is that you know what kind of policy support do you think there should be does india's current uh, climate mitigation plan per se has such a inclusive policy where we uh, you know talk about these affected communities and prepare a plan for them at central level and at state level uh, if you can tell about that and second uh, before you do that can you tell us uh, any such more uh, examples of where communities have taken charge for change and had actually led to some kind of policy change happening in that particular area see i have given you some of the examples uh, you know earlier uh, i can also tell what people are constantly doing you know they are planting broadleaf uh, trees you know to retain more water in the soil and that's how they are you know uh, promoting and they are they are making enabling themselves for the agriculture and, and many such examples where Uh, a lot of people in the central uh, india i have seen uh, between bundel uh, between madhya pradesh and uh, uttar pradesh that uh, people have switched to organic farming and uh, after suffering uh, initial uh, couple of years loss they are very happy now that they have they are doing a zero budget farming i am not saying this is a uh, large number of people but this revolution has started and i am very happy that some people sitting in delhi sitting in metro cities they have understood that if they encouraged them to uh, grow the uh, high end product matlab high value product if they grow so they can really uh, create a market and these people can be given the problem today is that you know uh, tomatoes 100 rupees per kg for large section of people who is already you know uh, facing the brunt of uh, this inflation they think that oh, uh, how can i do and people question the, uh, the 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 credibility that you know so if these questions can be addressed so there will be employment generation people will change but you ask how government can help what policy do i expect the government to adopt i uh, am really no expert in this uh, shreya but uh, i think uh, government can do one thing at, at least that government in their utterings and in their action can be honest far more honest than they seem uh, to be now all policy makers not just one person one party or one government i'll uh, illustrate it by uh, you know giving you example in the international negotiations we all know that in international negotiations that uh, india uh, i was talking about uh, when you asked how i jumped into this climate reporting 
this 2009 Copenhagen. Why it is important? Because India changed its line and that was an honest change. That we cannot keep talking about per capita emission, per capita emission every time. We are 1.4 billion people. You use anything, per capita will be very less. So you emit, per capita is less. So it doesn't mean that a country which has got 10,000 big and small glaciers, 7,500 kilometer long coastline, scores of agroclimatic zones, will keep speaking about, no, no, we will burn coal because we, we have per capita, we are very less. We will have to come out of this. I'm, I'm not expert, I'm speaking with my experience that we will have to stop burning coal because we are the biggest sufferers and as many reports, not just about my saying that Hindukush Himalayan region will face in next few years, 200 uh, crore people will face this water scarcity that we, we know. First of all, we have to be honest and we can't speak in international negotiations that, you know, uh, we demand others to reduce the emissions and we don't do that in the home. Not because others have not done it. We know that China, America, European countries, all they have been culprits. But the situation is such that India will have to switch. And uh, I think Sandeep had written a story how switching to clean energy will generate more employment. So we can, they can use it and uh, they can uh, work on a policy which will help us to uh, get, uh, you know, get, get on that trajectory. So that honesty is required. And that is very important. We can't tell world that you don't burn coal and we are doing what we are doing in our uh, backyard. And not only we are burning and promoting coal, we are also like, you know, leaving those, uh, those, those communities in those areas and not doing anything for them. You know, we talk about just transition. Even before we talk about just transition, their condition is not very good. They are just, you know, garnering, the, uh, garnering that coal and they are selling it somewhere. That's how they are sustaining. So government will have to understand and, yeah. and that's that's not easy task for any government. It's easy to sit in such a program and talk about it, but it is not easy to actually uh, act on this. So uh, this with this honesty, I mean, I have seen this in Himalayan areas where at the name of development, we are, I mean, where we can make a good road, you know, creating flyovers. They are cutting the jungles. You go there and see like anything. In this Kordwar uh, uh, Rishikesh road, I'm forgetting the name of that uh, high, uh, that road they are building. They are out there to uh, finish the forest. And uh, again, uh, it is not only climate change issue. You are creating very scary roads also because that's thickly forested wildlife area. People are running their vehicles on such roads and colliding with the wildlife. And a lot of accidents are happening. So what I want, the point I want to make that the entire the system when we talk about climate change, we don't talk about isolation, no. So, it is not providing employment. It is not providing, you know, zip past highways are not development. This is the biggest, I mean, you understand and I, I hope if you are not getting it now, you will understand someday because I have seen it very closely in many areas. These zip past highways are very unfriendly to the people who are poor. It is, they, are, they don't provide employment to anybody. Uh, and uh, they are just, you know, a lot of corruption involved in it. So this is something which reflects the dishonesty. And this is also the dishonesty dealing with the policies in climate uh, and other, you know, adaptation, mitigation, all things. So that is required in their assertions and their action. I, uh, you know, uh, the reason why I asked about policy making was one thing more. Uh, in your book, uh, Rage of the River, you, you, you know, you have provided a vivid description of how, you know, lack of socio-environmental sensibilities uh, and, you know, policy-level inefficiencies cause havoc and loss of human life. So in these many years, you have covered policies, you have covered uh, you know, the impact on the ground. Do you think that climate-related sensibilities are becoming a part of policy making you know, at central level, at a state level? Do you think climate change is considered as a major variable now when we're doing infra-planning? Uh, from my side, I don't think so. I think we are still very, very insensitive uh, when we plan infrastructure. We might have green roads. We might put up solar panels over street lights or something. Uh, but that is not helping the cause. That's just adding to adding a number to a certain target, but not serving the purpose. But I want to know your uh, experience in in this. 
you have very rightly pointed out first of all we should understand that this green energy we cannot talk keep talking about green 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 but we should also understand that the 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 the, the thing will ultimately come down to our lifestyle and our consumption pattern you know we often say that uh, you know solar panels and you know this wind windmills they will bring green energy but how much solar in a country like india where you uh, plan to make so many megawatts of energy by 2030 by 2040 i mean i see those figures i i can't believe, you know uh, until a few years back uh, we have uh, how much uh, you know uh, india's uh, installed power capacity now will be how much 350 gigawatt but our peak demand i don't think that it it, it does match the the installed you know the capacity we do not have that much peak demand the highest in summer months was 200 gigawatt 200 gigawatt and we have more than so we have more plants than we require it so our consumption pattern is flawed and we are you know we are we are heading in a wrong this thing road on a wrong road but the another thing is this how much how much panels how much uh, how many green panels will you erect how many wind windmills will you will you erect because that will also create environmental degradation that will also create a lot of havoc uh, don't you agree with this because you will you will mine for those minerals and you will create so much uh, you know e waste and all that so we call it a land we call it land of gandhi and land of buddha but i was recently listening to the entire mammoth you know uh, gandhi's experiments with truth and the, every after every few minutes gandhi returns returns again and again to the uh, you can reject gandhi on many uh, you know uh, you, you you don't have to uh, agree with him uh, all he says but you should agree uh, you will have to agree with him that you we need a sustainable lifestyle and even if uh, not only gandhi we, this is also land of buddha what buddha said the philosophy of aparigraha don't take even the you know donations and the money uh, which is more than your demand i'm i don't want to sound like a baba or a saint but this is something we have to use the public transport we have to use you know uh, we have to survive on fans it will be hypocritical i also have ac at my home but somewhere down the line we have we should understand that until or unless we reduce our consumption we go uh more efficient that 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 you know five star or six stars or three stars equipments are coming those will save the energy so that's the way and you know we have to uh, make public transport more robust we have to uh, you know even electric vehicles or any kind of vehicles until people come on bicycles we make roads friendly for people to walk at least in europe people who walk people who you know ride bicycles they are you know respected and uh, in in germany my friends were telling me that uh, having a big car people uh, don't you know they look down uh, they don't uh, think it is a good thing to have a very big car but in india uh, and in our areas where we live in metros do you see places uh, at least in delhi or surrounding ncr areas do you see places where people can walk and uh, do you see that people uh, they do stop their car for people who are they don't get priority so solution lies somewhere there i think right yeah but to create this kind of uh, mass scale public awareness even that needs a government support isn't it you know not every citizen will just wake up to this idea of climate change it is like sensitizing people for a polio vaccine or more recently a covid vaccine there would always be people who say that i'll die after this vaccine or there would always be someone who will say ki no it's a hoax uh, you know there people might be be affected for it but they will not change their ways until unless you instill it them people have problem keeping two dustbins in their households we are talking about yeah. a change lifestyle how do you think it could be made a uh, you know a public dialogue how do you think it can be done i will tell you one uh, example that you know um, uh, which is very important that uh, again I, i think we should muster up the courage uh, to speak up and uh, uh, call out the authorities very important thing and it may sound like you know a little publicity of my book when i wrote this book i was very pleasantly surprised this rage of the river a small department on environment uh, on himalaya in yale university they invited me to speak on this book in yale university 
I had never thought when I was writing this book, I was, I, 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 it will take me there. And I thought, I told them, the people, that, you know, I'm just a reporter. I can't speak, you know, in front of the expert. And you know, there are no experts. They're just small group of people we want to invite because we can't believe that uh, more than 6,000, 7,000 people died in a disaster. And, uh, you know, they want to understand how all this happened. So I was invited in 2017. Trump was in office for just one year. When I gave a presentation, people listened to it and I was very nervous what they will ask. The first question they asked that what the government is doing not to, you know, happen such disaster again. And I started by taking on Trump. This I said, first of all, I want to say that uh, Donald Trump has removed all the, you know, the commitments from the White House website. And that is really horrible. And those people, you know, they were so happy that they, they cheered and they clapped. I was speaking against their head of the state in their own soil. And they were happy to listen to that. And later on, uh, we spoke after the uh, program. So that awareness, we cannot expect everywhere in India where people are worried. And I don't think uh, if there is awareness, they are the biggest culprits and polluters also. The historic emissions and accumulation of carbon in space is done by America. But such desire to hear the criticism of our own administrators and our people, because, you know, everything, uh, it may be a little digression, but everything is not uh, uh, climate change. Uh, this sudden downpour and inundation of uh, cities, everything is not climate change. You know, this is also municipal failure. Uh, we have dumped garbage everywhere. We talk about the, the books and writings on climate, but uh, the conventional wisdom, it's a wonderful book by Anupam Mishra. It is called Aaj Bhi Khare Hai Talab. And it shows you and it tells you that India, every town and city of India was full of lakes and ponds. And now what we see, everywhere there are buildings. So earlier, the, these lakes and these ponds would work as a sponge and uh, as a, you know, uh, uh, it will store water. But now it goes and flows on roads and we think that, you know, uh, sometimes people say that this is all climate change and all that, but this is municipal failure. So all these things, uh, what I was saying that sustainable living, consumption pattern, lifestyle and resource management, all these things come and make a kind of motherboard and then we can address this issue. This is uh, what my limited, uh, limited understanding is. That's, that's really great. And thank you for explaining everything. Uh, I mean, I have learned so much and such great examples. And, you know, I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy that. I want to end this podcast with one last question, uh, which is, tell us like maybe two or three really inspiring stories of people and communities and how they have, you know, from your experience, be it in Ladakh, you know, you have reported about the engineer guy and and these other stories that you've recorded, like that has really personally inspired you that, you know, people will push the boundaries to find solutions in crisis. Uh, and if those stories are from the ground and from the field, uh, you know, it'll be delightful for me and probably for our listeners as well. Maybe something from, uh, you know, from your early career days, something that like really pushed you towards going out and telling the stories of these people. No, I will tell you a story and uh, it's a very powerful story and it's a very moving story. And this story involves uh, a, 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 a almost illiterate woman who has fought for environment, some corrupt politicians and, and a landscape. Uh, there is a place uh, just a few kilometers before Kedarnath. It is called Kund. And there was a private company, Dam was coming, right? I was traveling in and out in the, uh, those areas. I found a woman and I have uh, described this in my uh, in my book. And Sandeep and you both were asking uh, that uh, about the the people how they should they, they take climate change and environment at least. Climate change becomes a very technical issue if we talk about environment. They do understand it so well, Shreya, that that woman protested against the dam, and with many people, she was arrested and thrown in into the jail. She refused to take the bail. And when she was presented in front of the judge, and it is documented in my book, she given me not the interview to uh, not only to me, but other people also. When she was in the court and judge 
asked her, Sushila Bhandari, aap bail kyun nahi lena chahti? That illiterate woman ashamed many environmentalists. She said, Jat sahab, agar aapke hote mujh nirdosh ko bail leni pade, to fir aapke honi ki zirurat kya hai? And she stood firmly. And the judge immediately, you know, revoked all the charges against her and released her. And she was fighting for many years after that. Even if still, if you go to Agastamuni place, you will find her. And she given me so much insight about forest and jungle. She said, this jungle gives me everything and you want to take it away and ask, asking me to relocate somewhere else. She says, it gives me shelter. It gives me shelter to my uh, cattle. It gives me uh, water. It gives me agriculture. It gives me everything. And it is uh, it's self-sustained. And the dams, not only that dam, the other dams also, what was happening? They were showing the environmental impact assessment report of some different area and they were making the project at some other area. This is happening rampantly everywhere. And these people know it. So this story is actually, uh, I think, I, I find it very powerful a story that when a, when a woman who has never gone to school, who did not have the fortune to go to school, and she stands up in front of a judge and says that, what is your um, benefit of your being there if an innocent person like me has to apply for the bail? One important thing to add about that, at that time, and that is also written in my book, politicians came and they said that, we will not allow this dam to come up. Please vote for us. 32 villages voted on block for that politician. He never turned up after winning the election to that area. So th this shows that how we lose trust of people and how the gamut of corruption runs, you know. So this is something that many such stories I can't recall now. But uh, there are many such stories like in uh, if you go to Chai village where this uh, disaster happened near Chamoli, where uh, it was very, uh, it was very uh, fertile land for citrus fruits. Now nothing happens there because you have done so much blasting. Uh, I was talking to uh, Dr. Naveen Juyal, who is a well-known geologist. He says the entire hydrological pattern has changed. Now the water springs have died there because that is not ever added what you were saying that uh, the environmental cost of what, what we are paying for this development. This is amazing. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, not Thank you so much, obviously, for coming on this podcast, but thank you for these stories. You know, telling these stories for these many years, you know, helping readers such as us get to know such people. Uh, we, we also get inspired reading about these people, knowing there are people in some of the remotest corners of this country working towards saving the environment. You know, these are the stories that have driven us, that has led us to, you know, start this platform where we can also, you know, emphasize their voice. Give, give. I would say, Shreya, um, if I could add, uh, these are the stories and these are the people the government should <coughs> actually interact because they do not have desire to, you know, to make a career or, you know, to... To, to 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 climb on a ladder to reach somewhere they just want to uh, want to uh, survive and what is india india is a welfare state if they really want to do something good for the for the people the people will tell and uh, and their work will be easy but then elections are not won without money and the money comes from takedars from contractors from companies they need work so you know that's why I say nothing wrong happens in any country, even if a bomb blast, even if any smuggling, terrorism, everything happens on the foundation of corruption. I, I completely agree. Well, I also want to thank from my side. It's just been such a great and inspiring conversation. Thank you for being here. We really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for inviting me. For more information about the podcast, visit us online at www.101reporters.com slash podcast slash the underscore India underscore energy underscore hour. You can also reach out to us on social media and send us your comments and suggestions. My Twitter handle is at Sandeep Pai with a double I and Shreya's Twitter handle is at Shreya underscore J.